Coming up on this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. As far as things like fertility preservation and and all the taboo topics that maybe doctors don't bring up, you know, I think you should definitely bring it up and ask everything you want to ask. And if you don't get the answers, ask a different doctor and always get a second or third opinion on things that you're not so sure about because no doctor is going to give you, you know, the same advice. So um, just be your own advocate. Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 53 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me and for your continued support of the show. I really appreciate it and uh, can't thank you enough. If you have enjoyed uh, the Colon Cancer Podcast and you know folks that uh, you think would benefit from hearing the stories of our survivors, caregivers, and medical professionals, please share the uh, information about the podcast with those folks. As you know, we can be found on iTunes, a Stitcher for those with an Android uh, phone, as well as SoundCloud. A lot of interesting and exciting events taking place. It's been an interesting week for me. Uh, I was back at the Moffitt Cancer Center here in Tampa, Florida for my three-month check-in. And uh, boy, did Scanxiety take over for me this week. Uh, I know we talk a lot about Scanxiety and share those stories uh, on our Blue Hope Nation Facebook group. So, uh, yeah, it was my turn. And I went back to see, uh, first and foremost, uh, just for my regular scan, but I was treated for a nine millimeter lung metastasis back in August. And the treatment was uh, radiofrequency ablation, RFA. And uh, apparently that worked and uh, that met is cleared up. And now they found another one. But it's really small. So uh, my oncologist was like, look, it's it's five millimeters at best he said he could barely see it and he said you know what come back in four months and we'll deal with it then so uh, I'll take it I'll take it my wife and I said we'll take that and we'll enjoy the holidays and uh, if all I have to worry about is one little nodule sitting there uh, we'll deal with that at, at the appropriate time So uh, that's what's up with me and a lot going on in the rest of the colon cancer community. Uh, Some events that I want to bring you up to speed on coming up on November the 5th, uh, Saturday, November 5th. The folks and our friends up in Northern California is Rowan's Race, which is, uh, yeah, I guess you have your choice here. You've got a 5K run and walk, a 10K run, a kids fun run, mile walk. So whatever uh, you're up to come on out to Robertson Park in Livermore, California on Saturday, November 5th at 9 a.m. Proceeds from this event will benefit the Colon Cancer Alliance. And speaking of the Colon Cancer Alliance, I'm really excited uh, to be heading out to Mesa, Arizona the following weekend, the weekend of November 11th, for the 2016 Live Your Best Life Colon Cancer Alliance Metastatic Colorectal Cancer Symposium. 
I will be there along with my wife and many of our uh, wonderful friends in the colorectal cancer community. And we will be doing the colon cancer podcast live from there. So what the setup is, is I will be interviewing uh, attendees, presenters. I have a number of doctors that I'll be speaking to uh, on my docket to talk about and share with you uh, what they'll be presenting at the symposium. So for those of you that were unable to uh, come out for the symposium, uh, we're going to bring it to you. And uh, just keep an eye on the uh, Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org forward slash events. And you can also find it on my website on the Colon Cancer Podcast website at the colon cancer podcast dot com and we'll be posting those episodes pretty much as they happen that weekend again that's the weekend that's Friday November 11th Saturday November 12th and Sunday November 13th from Mesa Arizona so you don't want to miss that uh, and uh, you can be there virtually and uh, listen in on all that's taking place other events, the uh, our signature run walk event, the Undie Run Walk, will also be will be in Dallas, Texas, that same weekend, November twelfth, that Saturday at Levitt Pavilion from nine a.m. to ten thirty. And uh, another interesting event that's popped up on Thursday evening, November seventeenth. Those folks in the Washington D.C. area. Uh, we are hosting the annual Hulk Hour Hold'em and Tailgate Party. Uh, this is co-hosted by the Colon Cancer Alliance and the Hulk Hour Fund. Uh, join us for a fun night of poker, gridiron excitement. And uh, so it'll be a watch party for the uh, Thursday night NFL game between the New Orleans Saints Carolina Panthers. There'll be some NFL players, some guest appearances, and uh, some fun things to do, some fun games, poker, etc. And again, this is co-hosted by the Colon Cancer Alliance with proceeds benefiting our organization. So those are uh, the events coming up. Also, I want to uh, take a moment and thank our sponsor, H2ORS. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution, which is an over-the-counter electrolyte drink mix for dehydration. H2ORS is a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So for those of you who are struggling to stay hydrated due to an ostomy or chemotherapy, H2ORS can help replenish your fluid and electrolyte levels. It has three times the electrolytes of most sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavors, or artificial colors. If you'd like to try a free sample of H2ORS, go to their website at h2ors.com forward slash sample, and they'll ship one out to you, no strings or hidden costs attached. Also, when you make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the promo code CC. P-O-D, just think of Colon Cancer Podcast, C-C-P-O-D, you will get 10% off your first order. My guest this week is Abby Bott. Uh, I got to meet Abby at last year's Colon Cancer Alliance uh, conference out in Arizona, and she has an inter- interesting story to share. She was initially diagnosed with rectal cancer at the very young age of 23. And in our interview, she talks about the challenges that that presented. She talks about a procedure at the time that was experimental that she uh, participated in to preserve 
preserve her fertility. And she talks also about being diagnosed with Lynch syndrome, one of the hereditary colon cancer syndromes. So join me now for my conversation with Abby Bott. Hi, Abby. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you? Hi, Lee. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing really well. Oh, I'm glad to hear. Really well is what we always want to hear. And uh, you, know, you and I met briefly at Live Your Best Life 2015 in Arizona last fall, and it took us this long to kind of reconnect and, and get a chance to share your story, but I'm glad we we're able to have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, it was too briefly. Um, there were so many great people to meet and such such, uh, such a short amount of time to meet everybody in. So I'm glad we're doing this. I am too. So uh, for our listeners that may not know you and know your story, you were diagnosed so, so young. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so I was uh 22 when I started having symptoms and I just turned 23. Um, I was still in college uh, in my last semester at U of I in Illinois. Um, and I was diagnosed with stage three rectal cancer at 23. Goodness. Now, did you run into the trouble that so many young survivors have run into trying to get a doctor to uh, believe your, your story and understand the severity? I think I had a few different complications. Um, I think I was part of the problem. I didn't go into the doctor as early as I should have. Um, and I had a, you know, stressful semester and I thought, okay, I have an ulcer or something, you know, I have never had anything up until that point that didn't clear up on its own. So I took my symptoms to mean like, okay, something's wrong, but I don't know exactly what. Um, but then I had all the typical, uh, blood in stool and realized that I was losing weight and not meaning to lose that much weight, um, and, you know, the symptoms just started adding up. And so it took me um, going into the like the school health facility and saying, you know, what's going on. And uh, I, I don't think that they're necessarily equipped to say, you know, you have cancer. So it took several rounds of uh going in to see different doctors um, there, and then they referred me over to an actual uh, uh, gastroenterologist who was able to do the colonoscopy. Um, so it was just from the colonoscopy where, you know, the doctor came out and immediately looked like horrified for me and said, you know, this is really bad. You need to go see a, a oncologist and a surgeon tomorrow for a consult. Um, so once I was diagnosed, things sped up so fast, but it, it took myself a while to, to get it together enough to go see the doctor and then a few more months uh, before I was actually having that colonoscopy. How did you and your family handle that news? Um, well, by that time, honestly, when I was first told you have a large tumor, um, I felt kind of relieved um, just because it was like, okay, here's your diagnosis finally. Um, and it just felt like, let's figure out what to do now. You know, it, it was it was so many months of 
wondering what was wrong and worrying. And I was trying to go to class and finish my degree. And there was just a, a lot of a lot of stressful factors uh, in that time. So it was good to just know what it was and to try to move forward, even though I know that every doctor gave me the pity and horrified look uh, of like, this is really bad. Um, but for me, it was relief, weirdly enough. And of course, my parents were devastated and everybody was shocked and, you know, you don't expect that at 23. No, no. So uh, what was the treatment plan that was prescribed for you? Um, so I like immediately had a port put in and um, I uh, saw my oncologist and saw, you know, a whole lot of doctors in those first few days. And um, one of the people uh was a, a younger um, nurse practitioner, and she was not that much older than me. Uh, she's probably she was probably younger than how old I am now uh, at the time. But she said, um, "If you, if we're we're going to have to do you know chemo and radiation, and if you don't uh, do anything to preserve your fertility, that." is probably going to be lost. Um, is that something that you've thought about? And being 23, of course, I hadn't. Um, so very quickly, uh, she referred me to a specialist who advised that I go to a Northwestern uh, in Chicago and have a, at the time, it was an experimental surgery uh, to have one ovary removed and uh, cryopreserved. Um, and to just go through, um, you know, the, the fertility preservation, uh, before I started the chemo and radiation. That's amazing that a nurse practitioner of all people, uh, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but that's, you know, that kind of sounds like it just really came out of the blue that she would think of that. How amazing is that? Yeah. And I think now looking back, I think it was because we were so close in age and, you know, she'd gone through school and she was probably on the verge of thinking about having children herself. And maybe she just felt more like, oh, this could be me or anybody my age. And, you know, she she was thinking about it for me, luckily, because I wouldn't have thought of it. Right. So tell us more uh, about this. This was pretty experimental at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so I was told that it was, um, like I said, an experimental surgery. Um, I was told that I was going to be one of the first hundred people ever to do it. Um, and the hope was that they would remove a whole ovary and put it in the freezer. And um, they moved another one, uh, just kind of, you know, pinned it somewhere else to try to get it out of the radiation field. Um, so it wouldn't be affected. Um, and that was the hope. And uh, they had said that, I think at the time, and this was in um, 2009, late 2009. So uh, it's been a number of years now. So science has definitely, uh, you know, unfolded more. But at the time, all of this was experimental. And they told me that at the time, about um, 10 babies had been born 
through this. Um, so I thought, okay, well, that sounds more promising than having no options. Um, I've because of the size of my tumor, it was like softball size and it was stage three rectal cancer. And I, you know, I'd already been having symptoms for so long. So my oncologist wanted to immediately start uh, chemo and radiation. So to do that, I didn't have the amount of time that it would take to um, like extract eggs um, or do any other options for fertility preservation. So this was kind of it. Um, and since that was it, and that's, you know, the direction I was told to go when I was completely blindsided by all of this, I just followed and did what my doctor told me and said, I would rather have options than no options later if I survive this. Um, uh, but it was a very hard decision at the time because you know, I, my parents even said, you know, uh, like, what if what if waiting another like week to do this surgery before you start chemo and radiation, what if that affects your life? What if, you know, what if you're putting hypothetical children in front of your life now? Um, so it was, it was a really hard decision to make, but I f just felt like it was the decision for me at the time. And, and now I'm still glad that I have options. Um, so one of the great things about all of this surgery and the experimental and the science part, um, an article just came out in Discover Magazine just this week uh, in the September issue of Discover um, about this cryopreservation and the, the doctor at the Oncofertility Fertility. Uh, at Northwestern, who started it all, um, and then I'm featured in the article. So and I was just going to ask you about that. How did that? Uh, how did that come to pass that uh, you wound up uh, connected with this article and featured in it? Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's really cool to have seen this come from you know 2009 to me having surgery to now I'm in a magazine. Um, but um, I also did a documentary type. Uh, like patient navigation type film for Northwestern um, because, you know, there were only a handful of us who had done that surgery up until that point. So um, like I, on the Onco fertility um, website through Nor Northwestern, um, there's like a patient navigation. You can click on different videos and see like uh, testimonials, like stories um, of people who've done this and had options and people who've had children as a result. And um, so I think it's a really good patient navigation um, tool. So uh, the somebody at Northwestern connected uh, the the author from Discover Magazine who wanted to uh, do a larger article about it. Um, so, so they called on me. Oh, and now you're famous. <laughs> and now I'm famous. <laughs> well, uh, for our, for the listeners, I'm going to uh, repost that video uh, on the accompanying post with our interview at thecoloncancerpodcast.com so people can see it uh, right from our website too. Um, now, y 
if I have the story straight, at what point did you realize and uh, was this, you know, was the cryopreservation before or after when you found out that you wound up needing to have a full hysterectomy? Um, so that came, the, well, the cryopreservation came first. Um, so I was diagnosed in 2009. I had that surgery in 2009. Um, and then I followed that up with chemo and radiation um, and the surgery to remove my tumor and, you know, a whole lot of other uh treatment and, and follow-up things. Um, and it wasn't until years later, uh, in t- 2014, I was having some other issues and, um, you know, I was 23 when I was diagnosed, which is strange. So it turns out that my family has Lynch syndrome. Um, and I didn't actually know about my, uh, genetics before I had these symptoms and, um, it had just come about, uh, through my family and through, you know, the, the referral to genetic counselors and, and all of that. So I have Lynch syndrome and that is, you know, as you probably know, something that gives you a, like an 80% chance of getting colon cancer throughout your life and something like a 60 to 70% chance of endometrial type cancers. Um, and, um, you know, some of my aunts and my mom had had like uterine cancer. So, um, it was due to complications and then the high risk of cancer in the future that I did have the hysterectomy uh, years later in 2014. Right, just just for clarification, so people don't think I'm a total idiot, obviously you couldn't have had the preservation surgery after the hysterectomy. I, I, what I was meant to say was uh, the decision process, which came first. So uh, I just oh, wanted to yeah. clarify <laughs> as I'm listening to you speak, I was like, that's not, that's not what I meant, but I know that's how it came out. So uh, okay. yeah. Sorry to interpret it the wrong. No, you didn't. It was my fault. I was I wasn't clear. And for listeners who are looking for more information on some of these hereditary cancer syndromes, if you go back at the Colon Cancer Podcast Library, uh, I've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Georgia Hurst and Ellen Matloff. I think that was episode ten. Uh, Georgia Hurst started her. Uh, uh, nonprofit, uh, I have syndrome.com and they run a terrific Facebook group uh, called Gen CSM, which is stands for genetic genetic. Um, uh, it's a social media Facebook page, so check that out at Gen CSM. And I also interview Dr. Travis Bray. I believe I'm doing this from memory, so I could be off, but just check the Colon Cancer Podcast website. I think it was episode seven. He is a FAP survivor, and he and his wife, Shawnee, have a wonderful uh, uh, um, foundation and website called hcctakesguts.org. I think it is. Uh, I'll post it on the website where people can get more information on these hereditary uh, colon cancer syndromes. So you didn't know about uh, Lynch until after you were diagnosed? I did not know I had Lynch syndrome. Um, I actually didn't know... um, you know, filling out forms in the doctor's office and they ask you, do you have a family history? Um, I always said no, because I didn't 
realize. I didn't know um, that I actually really have a long family history of colon cancers, especially, um, but then like endometrial cancers as well. Um, I don't really know if my family knew that there was a name for it, Lynch syndrome. Uh, I think a lot of people just thought we have a lot of cancers. Um, but even if they did, it was, an, it's you know, a Lynch is kind of a relatively new term in the last few decades. So uh, I didn't know until my parents were with me the uh, day after I had my colonoscopy and then I had to go to the surgeon and the oncologist the next day and I was filling out those forms again and it said, do you have a family history? And I said, uh, no. And my mom was like, well, actually, yes. Um, so she knew that her brother had had cancer and her father had had cancer and it was just not one of those things that came up, uh, you know, at family Christmas and I didn't know. So uh, I definitely preached to know your family medical history to other people um, because now now I do know and now I know how far back it goes and and what Lynch syndrome means and the appropriate screenings and things like that now, but I, I didn't know then. That's funny you mentioned Christmas dinner because when I interviewed uh, Georgia Hurst and uh, uh, Ellen uh, Maloff uh, last year, uh, they were saying that is the best time to talk about it because that's when you have all your family together, and that's you know it's 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 one of the rare times in most families that you have as many uh, family members together, and it's you know may not be what you want to talk about at the dinner table, but it's it is a good time to ask those questions and, and know about it. So that, that, I find that kind of funny that you 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 use that uh, correlation there. Yeah, well, I completely agree, um, and actually ever since my diagnosis, I've uh, made a, a strong point to be the family advocate. And we do have those conversations now at Christmas. But I like, you know, my mom is one of seven children and I have a lot of cousins. And uh, with her side of the family, we did only get together a couple, two, three times a year then. Um, and I just I feel like um, now we my many cousins who could have Lynch syndrome, we talk about it now or uh, my, the first Christmas that happened after my diagnosis, I couldn't make it uh, to their uh, celebration. Uh, so I, I wrote up a letter, you know, like, hey, family members, read this at Christmas because I can't be there to tell you to go get screened for this. Um, Good for you. Know, you. It, Good for it you. Just, <laughs> it started with my family, the advocacy for it, and I just worked my way out. Well, speaking of that, I found it so interesting in reading your story. You know, so many people uh, are able to share, uh, are fortunate to share that something good comes from this. And for you, uh, your uh, experience uh, with cancer led you down a new career path. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of weird blessings have come out of something so terrible, but um, I went to school for psychology. And uh, then in my last semester there, when I was, <laughs> a wrench was thrown into my whole life plan, um, I, you know, didn't know anything about insurance or anything about the medical world at all. And I didn't know 
anything about what I needed to know. I, you know, I didn't even know my family history. So um, advocacy and, and knowing the medical world more has become really important to me and sharing that knowledge with other people is really important to me now. Um, I just, if I can help anybody with my story, you know, I want to. So um, I found a nonprofit in Illinois um, after I was healthy enough to work. Um, and it it was called Campaign for Better Healthcare. And I thought, that sounds like exactly what I want to do with my life. <laughs> of course, I want to campaign mm-hmm. for better healthcare. Um, so I started working, uh, working there and they led me to the current organization that I'm at, which is a health policy and advocacy nonprofit, uh, here in DC. And, um, yeah, I, I just hope that I can help other people navigate the system better and maybe make it better from within, you know, I'm like on the other side now. Uh, so we'll see where it goes from here. So let me ask you this as we wrap up, and and I know you're uh, uh, one of our loyal listeners, and I really appreciate that. So you know how I usually wrap up, and with the with the question um, that uh, it, it's kind of however we want to shape it. It, it. If someone who's listening, um, they were recently diagnosed or are hesitant to speak up because they're young and they don't think anything's really that serious, you know, knowing what you know now, uh, what advice, Abby, would you give to someone in either of those situations or even to someone who may be caring for someone who is recently diagnosed, um, what would you, what are your words of advice? Yeah, I, so many things. I think if you can know your family medical history and if you are newly diagnosed or you think something is wrong to always listen to your body, um, you know, I went against my better judgment and didn't go to the doctor as soon as I should have. And um, I let a lot of fear get in the way of going to the doctor, um, you know, fear of what the diagnosis could be or, you know, what is my body doing or even just like the, the financial cost. I was in college, so I thought going to the doctor, health insurance and all of, all of that involved was going to be too much for me to handle. Um, but obviously going sooner would have been better than waiting. Um, so, I would just listen to your body and um, as far as things like fertility preservation and and all the taboo topics that maybe doctors don't bring up, you know, I think you should definitely bring it up and ask everything you want to ask. And if you don't get the answers, ask a different doctor and always get a second or third opinion on things that you're not so sure about because no doctor is going to give you, you know the same advice so um just be your own advocate and if someone is in that similar situation particularly around uh fertility preservation uh can they find you on facebook and reach out to you for just uh words of advice yeah absolutely um i am always open to uh meeting new people and and i would love to use my story to help anybody else so i am definitely out there on social media you are you are and uh that's why another reason why i'm glad to have you on the show and uh that's why we do this is so that people like you abby can 
uh, serve as an inspiration to someone else that, uh, you know, may have just received the devastating news and all these things are running through their head and now they get to hear your story and what you've done and, uh, you know, you can kind of be a guiding light to some of these folks. So uh, thank you for that and uh, I'm glad to hear your health is uh, is good and uh, I wish you nothing but the best, especially in that department, that it stays good. And, um, and we were just chatting before the show started uh, and we all know how important, especially those of us who have been through the cancer journey or are still in the midst of it like I am, that birthdays are a wonderful thing. So an early, so um, I think when this comes out, actually, we will have passed your birthday. So I will then go ahead and say a happy, very special birthday to you. Uh, our birthdays are a day apart, which is yeah, very, which very cool. Yeah, happy birthday to you too. Thank you so much. Uh, yes. And I just want to wish you all the best. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Abby. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.